Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick, and you hear the sound of the wind in the trees here in the backyard of the rectory where I live. And I'm happy that finally the sun has started to shine. In the background, you hear the bells of the, the church tower. It is two o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm recording this on a Saturday. One of the reasons is that I'm recovering from yet another extremely busy day um, yesterday, and I hoped to record my shows on Friday, kind of the last-ditch possibility, and even that was impossible. Um, I spent most of the day planning my uh, TV work for the next couple of weeks, and I've now entered a small path in a part of the backyard that I've never seen before. Uh, this is a garden where a number of people can grow their own food. And I hear, mmm, I smell fragrant herbs. This smells like, uh, like mint. Wow. Here people are growing crops of lettuce. These plants are completely covered in a protective sheet. I'm, I can't really tell what's underneath it. It's probably just very fine-leafed stuff. This must be... That looks like rhubarb. I'm not sure. It is a time of rhubarb right now. Something I was addicted to as a child. Oh, and over there is a, a parishioner who is... Uh, working on his patch here. They're very, very small patches, but extremely well maintained as far as I can tell. It's unsure if this will remain, though. We are currently in discussion about the future of our church locations. And, uh, oh, wait, did I miss the, the other path? <laughs> okay. Um, okay, right. there is nothing here where I can walk. And one, one of the options is to uh, make this church of St. Joseph's the, uh, what they call the Eucharistic Center. So it means that this would be one of the churches where we celebrate all the sacraments. And we try to normalize the uh, uh, sacramental life as much as possible. And, and that is an alternative to um, the situation of uh, about 10 years ago where we would all have these super parishes in our, our diocese that consisted of uh, multiple individual parishes that had merged. And then because we have such a, a lack of priests, um, most locations would have a mass, you know, every two weeks, every three weeks, there would be lots of uh, communion services uh, led by lay people, and our bishop has never been a fan of that situation. He felt that it is necessary, because the Eucharist is so much the heart of our, our Catholic life, um, every parish conglomerate should ha have at least one, what he called, Eucharistic center, where 
everything is still kind of normal and then priests should give that location priority. Now, as you can imagine, if you have, um, like in, in the two parishes that I work for, 15 individual churches um, and only a few priests, you can only have one or two Eucharistic centers um, because you also want to maintain uh, at least a partial sacramental life and uh, celebrate Mass in all these other locations as long as they're uh, able to stay open. <clears throat> so if this church would be chosen to be the next Eucharistic center, then maybe part of that garden behind the church uh, will have to be transformed into a parking lot because it would mean that people from all over the region would come to this place instead of the villagers and the people from this huge uh, new neighborhood um, to the um, northeast of uh, of this town. We'll see. It's not so. Uh, it's not uh, there yet. Uh, we have some time. That is also one of the things that um, is is uh, constantly in the background in everything that I do. Um, I, I try to help people formulate uh, the criteria. For, for a good choice in that respect. Uh, I know the parish very well. I've been here um, since my time in Rome. So uh, the advantage is that I, uh, I, I know the locations, I know what people need. I also know uh, quite a bit about the strengths and weaknesses of the various locations. So I'm trying to help as much as I can in this process of discernment as to which church should be, you know, the Eucharistic Center. <clears throat> And then uh, that involves also me writing down stuff, talking to people, uh, uh, informing our, the newer priests in our team, etc. Um, and most of the, of the other work that I did last week was related, as has been the case for quite a few weeks now, to the internal organization of the two parishes and, and making sure that uh, this whole process of getting the equipment necessary to do the live streams and uh, also to um, accompany this process of, of, well, thinking creatively about the possibilities instead of just looking at the, the restrictions of this corona situation. Uh, all that requires me to communicate on a whole lot of uh, levels with people involved, from the people, the members of the pastoral team to the the people that are in charge of the parish, uh, even the diocese. Um, I try to keep them in the loop about uh, our initiatives. And also the regular parishioners and, and most importantly, the volunteers that are helping me do this. Um, all those people need to be well-informed, need to also understand why we do certain things. I have to safeguard the, the protocols and, and also help formulate them, so... Uh, this is not something you improvise, these, uh, these Masses. And, and it will only get more difficult when uh, we will be able to celebrate Mass with people again. And it may very well be that that is just around the corner. In my country, the government has uh, loosened some of the restrictions. I think I mentioned this last week. Which could mean that at least... We know pretty well, we don't have a guarantee, of course, because if, if the situation worsens, if the number of infected people mounts again, then all those restrictions will be uh, 
will stay in in place but there there is good hope that starting on the 1st of July we will be able to uh, celebrate mass in our churches again with the faithful present however with a lot of restrictions and um, the most important one is that everybody should be able to keep uh, social distancing intact which means that in a church that normally seats uh, 350 people like uh, this church in St. Joseph's of St. Joseph's um, you you can only fit about 40 people in that same church and, and that is true for all of our buildings so that means I think that uh, for a lot of our our parishioners our regular parishioners it will, t- it will still be impossible to go to church on Sunday and I think in addition to that, there will be a number of mostly elderly parishioners um, that maybe will not want to go to church because they're a vulnerable group. And it could also be that the rules will specify that above a certain age, you should stay home. We don't know yet. Uh, We're still waiting for these new regulations. Uh, The bishops take their time. Uh, which leads me to believe that the instructions will be very, very detailed. And that's a good thing, because um, I'm all for, you know, local initiatives, and, uh, but, but this is, we're, we're talking about the, the core of our Catholic life. And we want to make sure that that is as safe as possible, and also that the liturgy, if with all these, despite all these restrictions, can still be celebrated in a dignified way and in a, in a way that is inspiring. So it's a, it's a lot to think about. And sometimes my, my head just doesn't stop. It's very difficult for me to switch off because, because of all these levels. I'm not uh, accustomed to, to be involved in so many different projects with so many people and uh, communication is key that is I mean I know that because it's my bread and butter it's my is my job but um, it is difficult to scale communication of this nature because it has to be so detailed and there are so many questions uh, that you get so to give you an idea of the three levels of uh, of work maybe four, uh, that are currently causing me to have long days and not much sleep, and more importantly, not much, not much uh, off time, not much uh, time for myself, uh, time to recuperate. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit later on in the episode about what I'm thinking to do, what, I'm, what I hope to do to improve the situation, because uh, this has been going on for almost 10 weeks now, and I'm kind of at the end of the, well, the end of the rope, maybe a lot, uh, but uh, definitely I have to be careful with my reserves because I'm running out of them. But um, on a very personal level, um, I have to deal with the situation of my father and my mother. As you know, my father is in an, in a closed institution where he gets all the care that he needs because he has dementia. And he also misses a leg. And uh, being handicapped and also not being entirely clear-minded all the time uh, makes, well, necessitates constant surveillance and help and also 
un unfortunately, a very limited freedom to move around. Um, however, on the whole, he is he's quite content, and he gets along well with the people there and with the uh, the nurses and uh, the doctors. So that is that's good. That's that's good to know. Uh, and and there, of course, like anyone, he will have his moments where it's boring or where he wished his life would be different. But all in all, um, I think he, he has adapted quite well, which I totally knew he would, because that's his strength. It's been the case uh, for, for an entire year now. Every time he, he, went, he moved to a new situation, after you know some initial hiccups, he would usually really enjoy being there and, and also be uh, an enjoyable person to be around. Yeah, my father has a, a good sense of humor, and even though it's not nowadays, it's not always very clear what he's talking about. He still makes people laugh, and and that's a that's a good quality, and it's a it's a it's a talent that helps him quite a bit. Um, my mother is in a more difficult situation health-wise. Um, she has had severe heart problems. She's received some stints um, to, during two operations. However, none of that has really improved the situation. She is uh, still very quickly out of breath. And in addition to that, there is all of a sudden a new uh, medical problem that has emerged, and that is a, uh, uh, the need for a hip replacement. This is very common, of course, uh, among people of her age. But because she has these heart problems too... Uh, uh, an operation which, which is kind of common now and not that dangerous all of a sudden becomes much more risky and so it's this constant back and forth with the doctors can we do an operation or do you first need to uh, strengthen your overall physical condition um, but if you try to do that and you have so much pain while walking well how can you work on your condition uh, when you uh, when you can't even walk on some days. So that is, that is worrisome, and it also causes a lot of stress. Pain can be an incredible stress factor, where if, if the pain prevents you from sleeping and there doesn't seem to be a solution to it, for s small stretches of time we're able to endure a lot. But if this is constantly uh, causing you to uh, think about pain, um, it, it wears on you, and I can tell... My mom is really suffering of this uh, of this pain exhaustion, almost. And then, in addition to that, of course, she has her worries about my dad and about the situation. And um, my father has a, a number of brothers and sisters, or one brother and a, and a lot of sisters. And they're all kind of the same age. He's the oldest, the eldest of the family. and uh, But most of them are also elderly people now and so um, my father is the first one to be to be in a in a care home uh, like this and uh, also to suffer the these dementia uh, symptoms and so they they are not used to it and what I think is happening is that they kind of are extra involved or they want to really do what they can to stay informed maybe to help uh, because in a certain way, he is ahead of them. That's that, I think that is definitely something that's in the back of their mind. I can't speak for them, of course, but that's my theory. However, this, this, this concern 
sometimes translates into um, very opinionated <laughs> reactions and feedback. Uh, the, the family of my father is known for their extremely strong characters and maybe sometimes lack of diplomacy or, or let's say, <laughs> um, how can I say this kindly? <laughs> they can be a little bit blunt. There you go. That's that's what it is. And so, um, th- 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 what I see is happening is that they visit my dad, and they get a version of my father. They get this good-natured, chatty, you know, entertainer, um, who is very good at hiding the flaws. Uh, when he speaks. It feels like he's making sense. He doesn't make sense. but and he, So he's very good at, at steering the conversation to topics that he knows are, you know, safe in a certain way. And if you know him very well, like when, when I'm visiting, I immediately hear it when he's covering up, you know, the fact that his brain is not functioning that well. Uh, but for many people around him, um, that's not so clear, especially visitors. And so... Uh, um, his his sisters and brother have been um, insisting that you know maybe my father should be retested and maybe he's not that you know uh, maybe the dementia is is much less severe than was originally uh, diagnosed and so he, he should get out of that horrible situation and maybe go back home and my mom is like well but he's been tested by the doctors and it's so obvious that he can't go home uh, because of his physical handicap, but also mentally, you know, he's out of control and he needs people around him 24 hours a day. The number of times that he has fallen, uh, that he uh, causes all sorts of problems, it, it needs 24-hour care and surveillance as well. My dad has that same strong character. So if he wants to go somewhere, if in his mind he thinks he needs to go out for, I don't know, some groceries, he will do it in the middle of the night. Uh, that is a situation that you absolutely want to prevent. But if you're just visiting for an hour or so, then you don't notice all that. So, but for my mom, it's, it's really, really difficult to deal with all these opinions and all these, you know disagreements like you should do this you should do that it's very easy to tell my mom what she should do if you're not in her situation and so I kind of had to jump in and write an email to all those that are currently worrying about my dad and about the situation may have also their comments and criticism to just tell them well, there's been another talk with the, the doctor yesterday and she said it's obvious that he needs to be here and the diagnosis is correct he needs constant care in a closed situation there is not a single chance that he'd be able to uh, to be safe outside of this institution and so i wrote a nice email to all of you know my aunt my aunts and uh, and uncle telling them that well this is the situation it's been reaffirmed that he definitely needs this kind of care. So, But please, don't 
have these discussions with my mom because she can't handle it anymore. She's in a very weakened situation and this causes so much stress. Um, uh, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, address them to the children, to me, to Fiona, to my brother, and we will handle that, that, that stuff. But my mom only gets anxious and, and worried and, uh, and stressed. And if you have heart problems as severe as my mom, that could be lethal. And I don't think that they realize that. At least, I wanted to make sure that they know. So that's, that's the first, you know, internal family communication that... I know that that, that, that that is my job right now. I need to do this. I need to protect my mom and uh, explain the situation and make sure that everybody is on the same level again or is, uh, is, uh, that you don't get all these, these disagreements and uh, all these, these theories about what should happen. You need rest. My dad also needs a stable situation right now. That is also necessary on a secondary level. And that is in my personal life with all this work and uh, uh, having to deal with so many people. You know, on the whole, I have to say that I'm, I really experience um, <laughs> that how much I've grown. I can't even speak it. How much I've grown. <laughs> Sometimes I'm groaning as well. <laughs> but I, I have definitely made improvements when it comes to managing situations like this. It will never be my favorite thing to do, but I'm much better at it than I used to be, and especially the communication part. Um, I think I know how to, how to write down uh, what needs to happen and why and explain that and uh, striking the right tone. What I'm still struggling with is when some people don't... <laughs> want to follow instructions or disagree and keep on insisting that they want certain things whereas I know that that is impossible and it you cannot honor all those requests what what I've noticed is that a lot of my colleagues are like me they're creative they're um, they are usually thinking along pastoral lines what they do don't necessarily always have is experience in let's say the technicalities or how to organize certain things when it comes to these live streams and also certain decisions important decisions for the the let's say the medium uh, future the next couple of months uh, they're very quick to make all sorts of wish lists it would be great if we would be able to do this or record videos or have, uh, you know, do, do all these uh, reports from the various locations in our parishes and then you could post it on the website and we could do this and we could do that. And I was like, I'm barely managing the current situation. It is so complicated technically. And every mass I am, I'm dealing with new people. Um, th there is nothing you can automate in this not yet so simplicity is key to be able to to do this and if you're if you don't keep it simple then uh you won't be able to do anything anymore and what i've noticed is that because of my nature and i'm always trying to help and please and 
uh, I'm not a saint. It's just, <laughs> it's a character flaw. <laughs> it's a flaw. I always want to please people and uh, do what they ask, even if I know that that is not a reasonable question or it's not feasible. And so um, I've noticed that that is really wearing on me for these past few weeks, especially when there is disagreement. And um, I've been encouraged by some, you know who you are, to be even more direct, more assertive, clearer about what I want and how things are going to be done. Because I'm the leader. So it's impossible to lead and to make any progress and to keep things under control if you listen to each and every single suggestion or comment or criticism. Sometimes you just have to make do with the the current situation and protect that status quo and protect that simplicity. And I have uh, a tendency to, to, when I give feedback, when I'm irritated uh, about someone not you know, knowing when to stop and when to just, you know, go with the situation. Um, I, I usually, I think, in my mind, I'm very clear that, you know, I've, I've communicated that I don't agree, that we're not going to do this. However, maybe because of my education, uh, a bit of the influences, especially of my mom, um, I have a tendency to always try to, you know, I'm... I'm I'm too kind. I'm too um, vague. Uh, I'm like, well, maybe you're right. However, don't you think that? And then that's how I'm used to formulate my, my stuff. Whereas that is not perceived as, as, as direction. It is perceived as optional. You know, maybe this. Well, well Father Roderick has said, but maybe, perhaps, it, this is still possible. And so, <laughs> what I should learn to do, and I'm practicing that, is no, it's not going to happen. We keep things simple. These are the rules. Make it so. <laughs> That's it. End of discussion. And uh, the past two days, three days, again, I had this back and forth going on with someone. And I was just so fed up with having to spend all that energy uh, in, in, in explaining and negotiating and trying to accommodate and blah. And this was not the first time. So at one point I was like, okay, I'm done. We're not going to do this anymore from now on. And I was a little bit taken aback by my own directness and uh, maybe bluntness as well. But it was the only way for me to make it stop. And... Uh, it's like when you have a, an app on your phone that is sometimes crashing. You have that, right? Uh, you're, you're, you're playing a game or you're uh, browsing through some information in an app and all of a sudden it's like you're back in the home screen. Or when you're on a Mac or Windows, you get this error and uh, you have to uh, control all delete and, and close the process. Very often, these crashes are caused by memory problems so uh, the, the, the app there's a memory leak the app keeps piling up information and doesn't close the gap and so the program gets overloaded gets way too heavy for the available processing power and memory 
and then it just shuts down. That's the only way the app can prevent uh, slowing down your computer or phone to a crawl. That is analog to what I'm experiencing from time to time. Uh, Too much on my plate, too much information, too, too many requests, too many wish lists... Um, without me being able to stop the influx of all that, uh, all those requests, leads to overload. And w- the risk is, and we call this a burnout, is that you completely shut down. And I think that is often what happens with people that are, that are suffering from a burnout. I've had a burnout years and years and years ago, during my first years in the parish, where I also tried to do everything that everybody wanted, and I wanted to please everyone, and I thought that I had to do everyone. It's the uh, familiar Messiah syndrome that uh, lots of young priests are sometimes suffering for, from. I've learned my lesson. I've learned that that is impossible, and that if you, if you never say stop, and if you don't protect your own boundaries, certain people will continue to step over them. And we'll try it again and again and again until they get what they want. Regardless on, of, of the consequences for you personally or for the situation. And so protecting boundaries and becoming more and more assertive in doing that, maybe sometimes even aggressive, sometimes you just have to become mad at someone. Not because you're out of control, but to take control of a situation. It's what I call becoming, I'm not sure if this is a term, but I made it up myself, becoming functionally angry. So to start a functional fight. It can still mean that I respect that person and I wish them well, etc. Although it is sometimes very hard to keep thinking that of someone who's getting on your nerves. But, at least in theory, (laughs) I try to Still, you know, keep that, 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 the respect and the love. Oh my God, did that person just sneeze while biking past me? Good grief, without protecting her mouth and... Ugh. Oh God. That's, that's one of the dangers of, of uh, biking around without, you know, um, uh, a, a protection of mouth... Uh, what is it? Mouth of cap or... What you call it? Anyway, I think we still have a long way to go to to behave in such a way that our society is fully safe. So, um, but at the same time, even though you may stay as much as possible respectful of that other person, you sometimes have to be very clear and very blunt in saying no. And that can lead to a row, that can lead to a fight. And I think it is because of my own personal story that I'm allergic to fights, I'm allergic to conflict, I try to avoid it. At least I used to. Maybe it's part of the, uh, you know, some, some of the traumas that children have where I was always more often picked on in school, um, uh, children were, were trying to pick a fight with me. I hated it because I was always the, the weakest, <laughs> the weakest child. Um, I also couldn't stand it when my my parents were fighting, and 
Uh, so I've, I've usually, maybe that is also why I'm always overcompensating and being cheerful and being kind and uh, not allowing myself to be angry because I know that it can hurt people. But sometimes in a, uh, let's say in a business situation, in a negotiation, you have to pick a fight to make it clear that this boundary has been crossed too many times and that there are consequences if that person tries to do that again. And that is what I'm trying to, to train myself in. And by labeling it, hey, I'm picking a functional fight, I, I can actually allow myself to, to become angry. In moderation, of course, I'm not losing my temper. But I, I will voice my irritation and I will tell people that uh, behavior is unacceptable and that, I, that it irritates me. And it's my opinion. It's my feeling. So no one can criticize that. That is just how I perceive their behavior. It may not be meant like that, but that at a certain point is no longer relevant how the other person intended it. It's the consequences that are harmful and those have to be stopped. And what that person thinks or the, or the motivation for that person to act in a certain way That's their problem, not mine. I have to just stop the behavior because it's causing damage. So I've been able to do that twice in the past two weeks. And, uh, and I'm, I'm actually liking... Well, I'm not liking it. It's hard to do that. I've got to wait for the cars here so I can cross the road. Um, I don't like... Uh, having to take that position but I'm no longer afraid of it and I've, I've noticed that it does help so I picked my first functional fight with someone in uh, the par parish situation uh, and that person wanted me to do uh, certain things or to sign up for certain tasks even though I had very serious problems with that and I did not agree with The, with the, that um, uh, that that mission or whatever that task that was put on me, and I, I had serious, I, uh, I would you say that objections of conscience to the the, the the what was behind that request, and there was no way to talk about it. There was just incomprehension. It was, uh, I think, the other person thought that I was lazy or uh, I, that I wanted, you know, I, I just let uh, other people do the, the difficult things and I, I, want, I didn't want to do it because of that. And I was like, no. <laughs> and then because that person didn't want to listen to my, the, the reasons why I refused, um, it became this authoritative conflict. But the other person has more authority than me in that on that level. And I was like, I will just make you do it. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> If there is one trigger point with uh, Father Roderick, it's that I just you you are going to do that because I said so. <laughs> that is not in my system. So I was like, okay, what? And the reason that it made me mad and made me really really uncomfortable was that that person deliberately, consciously 
disregarded my boundaries. I said, I will not do it. This is why. That person did not understand or did not agree with my rationale and, and thought that those boundaries should be uh, ignored. You know, just you have to do it because I say so. And um, that for me is a no-go. I'm not a soldier. I promised obedience to my bishop and <laughs> to the pope. And even that obedience in, in church law always, always requ requires uh, that people listen to each other and that you have the opportunity to explain. But if it's just, you know, this is an order and you have to do it because it's an order, that is definitely not the Catholic way of, of uh, exercising authority. Because the risk is you, you cross boundaries, you, cross, you, you step on sacred ground in a certain way. People have boundaries because they want to protect something that is sacred to them. In my case, it's certain convictions that I have about what my life as a priest should look like and the things that I want to uh, engage in. And there are certain things. Let me give you a, a theoretical, a hypothetical example. What if someone would call me, um, let's say the bishop, which would, would tell me, Father Roderick, I want you to go out in the street and um, just find uh, an infidel <laughs> and you just uh, beat him up until he becomes a Catholic. And I'm your bishop, so you're, you'll have to obey. I'd say, no. <laughs> I would probably also immediately call some people and make sure that this bishop gets, uh, gets arrested. But um, no, but I would say absolutely not. Because that is not what I have chosen to be as a priest. I don't think this is in accordance with my morals. And so I will refuse that order. So that makes it very clear, I mean, because it's an outrageous example. But sometimes it happens in much more subtle ways when someone else does not maintain boundaries. And is... Because that is often the real reason that someone crosses your boundaries. It's because other people crossed their boundaries. And so they're in this... This is kind of similar to a situation of abuse, right? The abused sometimes can become abusers because they have never learned what boundaries are. And that respect of boundaries is something vital and sacred. Um, and so in, in this particular situation, I think that I got the order because it's something that the other person felt was necessary. And even though uh, it also crossed boundaries with that person. Um, and I was like, well, but again, that is not my problem. But what is my problem is when that behavior or that dysfunctional behavior uh, starts, to, starts to hurt me and, and, and disrespects my boundaries and my convictions. That is something you can't take away from someone. It has, all has to do with the fundamental freedom that we have. And you have to respect people's freedom, even if they make choices that you don't agree with. Um, so, in this case, 
I chose to become functionally angry and to make it very clear I was I've, in my experience let's say from my point of view I, I felt like oh, I've never been this assertive before in my life the other person probably thought oh he really thinks uh, he's really serious about this oh well <laughs> but anyway it felt like a victory over my own people pleasing reflexes but I I've and I think this is also the flow in which I am through all this work that I have to do um, I feel more in control and I feel that since I'm in control I'm no longer afraid of um, of giving clear directions and saying what I what I think and what I mean um, because it's the only way to make things happen and to realize certain things that, that are more important even than me um, that sounded wrong <laughs> a lot of things are more important than me but the, it's, it's the, the, the bigger picture that matters and I hope that what I do serves the future of the parish the well-being of the pastors the well-being of the parishioners and the glory of God right? and there are certain things for me that if I would comply would hurt that vision would hurt what I stand for and I don't do that and I've been very um, clear about that and, and I, I went very far like if you, if you really want to force me to do that I'll call in sick and then that's your problem because this makes me sick and I'm sick of it <laughs> <laughs> that kind of talk. I was like, and here is why I will only I will explain it one more time. This is why I don't agree, and this is what I refuse to do. Here are my reasons. Deal with it. No longer my problem. And so uh, this is something that I hope to be able to avoid as much as possible by preventing um, these situations. But I've noticed. Oops, that's a wasp gotta be careful oops and that's a car that's even more dangerous than a wasp now has the car driven over the wasp not enough he is still alive I'll just there that's still one of the things (laughs) that I am afraid of wasps although I've made my peace with with spiders this is a little aside but um, it's funny that uh, I've I've always been very afraid of spiders and the the big crawly ones that are, you know, making you jump up because you didn't expect a spider to be in a certain location. Those still freak me out. But in general, the smaller ones, or the ones that are just in the corner, I see them as my personnel now because they clean up a lot of other critters in my home, and uh, so uh, we have a pact. Okay, they work for me. I'm in charge. You don't scare me anymore. You work for me. Just do your job and no retribution will follow. <laughs> oh, boy. So anyway, that, but that still, this whole process of, of managing that and uh, planning, because if you want to have this functional fight, you need to plan it very well. You have to think it through before you do it. Otherwise, you you risk letting your emotions uh, take the upper hand. And emotions in, in situations like these are very dangerous. They make you vulnerable. They oftentimes disqualify you. Even though you may be right, 
but emotions give another person the idea that you don't know why you want why you do such so, you're no, you're not in control and they have to take control if you show if you stay calm you be you're very clear and you make you make it clear that your boundaries are sacred and that if people cross them one more time there will be consequences that threat that shows that you're in control and you can do that in a very calm way <laughs> which I try and then when I'm back home I'm, I still rant and I'm so mad and uh, but uh, in the situation you, you gotta stay in control so it's not something that I'm used to so it, it does act, act, ask quite a bit of energy however I'm doing fine <laughs> so far so good um, the third level on which I have to manage uh, quite a bit of, of, of process, quite a few processes and, and, and things, is uh, my work uh, in the media, which you'd almost forget is part of, should be, you know, a big part of my life uh, as a priest. It's my mission. It is what my bishop has asked me to do. And for the past 10 weeks of corona crisis, that has been really been pushed to the background. And... Well, one of the results is that I'm walking next to the railroad here, the tracks, recording this podcast on a Saturday. Whereas most people need their weekend to recover, um, I need the week to recover from the weekend, and even then, I usually can't. So, um, the, the, the podcast, that is still okay. There are a number of other projects that I was trying to cater to simultaneously, and I now have to uh, I have to uh, um, come to the conclusion that those are not all feasible at the same time. They're all good ideas, but I need to, to pick and I need to do some triage. Not everything is uh, of vital importance, and so. Uh, to name just a few of those of those uh, um, processes, uh, I've been working on a website, fatheroderick.com, which is going to be this whole inventory of everything that I do in media. So it will have my YouTube stuff, my podcasts, and also my documentaries, uh, my TV work, all that. However, it, you know, it does. It, it's not a problem. There is a, a company is making it for me, and I have to work with them. Uh, but it's it, with, with just everything going on. This is not uh, a priority right now. It is, you know, going to be finished, but not necessarily. It, I don't want to pay pay much attention right now. There's more important stuff to do. Then I have created this whole new channel for the two parishes, a website, all social media channels, and I constantly have to post the upcoming streams. We're talking usually three, at least three events every weekend. Those events need to be planned. They need to be posted to the right channel. They need to be communicated to the other people that are managing the channels, uh, the, the, the websites or the other websites and channels of the parish. Um, and you can't make a mistake because if you don't program it well, then uh, you, you, the stream itself won't, won't work. Um, and it needs thumbnail art. Uh, they asked me to post a lot of articles on there. 
and usually they provide me with vertical videos, no thumbnails, none of that. And I have a tendency to be a perfectionist. Huh. No kidding. Some people think I'm a super perfectionist. So I spend a lot of time making sure that everything looks, looks good on the website. But it is a ton of work and it's not my core mission. So, solution, hand it over to someone else. Found someone who wants to do it, but needs to be accompanied and needs to have a certain training to do that. Well, I don't have time for that training right now. So again, put it on the back burner. It does give me extra work to do it myself. But training that other person this week would be even more work. So it'll have to wait. Um, Podcasts, can't wait. I made this commitment to you as a listener that every week I would do my podcasts um, and, and maybe occasionally there will be one show or something like that that will skip a few more days but in general I feel that I if I lose this then I'm losing part of my core mission this is the this is the foundation of what I do in media it's always been so I need this podcast podcasting activity to to continue so I will give that huge priority over the rest um, another thing the uh, YouTube videos uh, people are still waiting for my review of the Clone Wars and oh, so many other things that I would love to make videos about and it bugged me that I didn't I, did, I have done a few live streams but live streams don't do that much for, for, for YouTube for this channel um, so it's something I know has to become part of my priorities again but given the situation right now there is just no room for it uh, and so it will have to wait How, even though that is very frustrating for me not having the time to focus on what I think ultimately will be the, the place where growth will be and also the future is it's not on TV it is for me it's definitely in in the online video business that is where you find audiences and that is where my friends are so i want to be there but right now only if i have some extra time um very basic stuff cleaning my house it's i have not cleaned my house or well i do the most necessary things you know toilet bathroom uh, kitchen but the rest it's it's really starting to um, it is in dire need of a good cleanup and I want to get back to that frequency of you know, just, I, I would have these these fixed dates days on which I was cleaning this or that room or right now it's just all I've been postponing that because again no time and nobody will die of me not dusting off the shelves. But if you don't do that for, th- for two months, you got a thick layer of dust on all the books and all the hardware. And that's not good. Um, so that has to become part of my routines again. The reason that I cannot have these routines is that my workload for every day is too big. It's 10, 12 hours, sometimes even more. So... Um, a lot will have to go 
uh, health. Another thing, eating well. It's uh, something that I know is vital for the long run. And I don't give it the time and the attention that it deserves. And that too, sacrificing my own boundaries. Those Health should be sacred in a certain way, just like prayer should be sacred. But I'm letting other priorities that are actually, if you look at it, they're, they're important, but they're not vital. Even uh, being the person who uh, is in charge of all these uh, streams and everything, and um, it is good, and, and I definitely think it's useful, but it is not as vital as staying healthy and uh, getting enough sleep. Because if I don't protect those boundaries, I will just fall apart. Another project that I was doing is uh, these children's uh, videos for children that can't go to church on Sunday because of Corona. And so I created these little, you know, Sesame Street-like short videos that took a lot of time to write, to film, to edit. For for a video clip of five minutes, it um, requires more than a day. And... I'm also getting help from a writer uh, and an illustrator. So it's even more time, but this, that is time that I pay for. But in total, uh, the costs of those videos that are fun and definitely work, we, we get feedback from parents that their children love it. But right now, it is just... It's another memory gap. It's like this app. It's, it's taking away my energy... Um, I, it's uh, overload, so I can't do other things uh, well. And I tend to go over my boundaries time and again just because I think this should be done. But should it be? Maybe this is something that we can halt for now and then continue on. And, I'm, and that is hard. In, in this case, it's very hard to resist the encouragement from people. Like the writer that I work with, she is like, you should do this. This is so much fun. I will help you, and we'll we'll, we'll try to find some funding. And but you really have to maintain this. And so uh, I get email from from parents. Uh, like uh, last week, I didn't have time to make a very long video, so I I skipped some of the dialogue between the with, between the puppets. And then parents write me, oh, but our children were so sad that there wasn't a little dialogue with the. Uh, what's his name? Krill the crocodile, uh, because that was that's what they loved most. And, and I was like, I feel so guilty. I, ah. And then the next week, I did spend even more time to make a good dialogue. However, all that is I'm actually paying the bill for that for that project with my own health and with my inner peace and with my sleep. That is a that is way too much. <laughs> that is a, That price is too high. And it is not a matter... It, you, in the past, a lot of these... Uh, me, be, you know, not... Uh, being able to finish things uh, in time or... Uh, was, was often linked to me not planning enough. Not planning well. Right now, everything that I do is planned. So, it... it but it... it the day still has 24 hours. 
and I try to do everything I can to keep things under control. And even when I try to do that, it's still too much. So, again, boundaries. I should be more... And I don't have anyone else to protect my boundaries. That is a definite downside and risk of the celibate life. Is you don't have other people around you that tell you, you got to stop, man. Dude, you got to make time for your kids or for, for me or for... You know, uh, we're going to visit our family today, so no work. And I don't care if uh, your boss thinks this or that. <laughs> you just stop. That is something that I don't have. And so it is, it's always the hardest thing is to protect your own boundaries. For me, it's pretty easy to protect the boundaries of, for, let's say, my mom. And, and to, to uh, do what, what is necessary to keep her a little bit shielded from... Uh, criticism and, and, and difficult discussions because I, I, I'm, I'm worried about her. But who is worried about me? Um, who sees the price that I'm paying? Not many people, I think. Uh, and that is, that's a risk. That's a really big risk. So, uh, to wrap things up, how am I going to solve this? Well, for me, uh, the best mental exercise was, can I go back to a time where I did have things under control and where I was very happy with the kind of uh, work week that I had and the lifestyle and the choices that I made? And I thought back of last year when I came back from France and I'd visited Lourdes and I, I went to this priest who lived as a hermit and I remember that for a couple of months, I had this very, very good rhythm where I'd have my prayer time in the morning. I, I used this, this um, Habitica, this, this app, to make sure that I did my essential tasks first, as mundane as cleaning the kitchen. But it was on a list, and it's something that the app reminded me of, of attending to. And... Also, I had maybe just 20% of the, of the work that I have right now. And it's the projects. It's not just the amount of hours, but it's just the number of different tasks, jobs, things that were on my mind. And uh, I, f I feel that, well, I want to go... Even uh, another thing that I remembered of that time was that I had... Um, I'm back at the church. I'm pacing back and forth for some reason. I'll just go through the garden back to the other side of the house. Um, my house was different as well. I had rooms without technology. I remember, and I think I shared this also, I, I had a Harry Potter room. So kind of my idea was to create a, like a... Um, a, a like the house room, the common room of, of uh, Gryffindor um, where you would have this kind of classic, classic atmosphere books, tapestries, paintings candles uh, uh, comfy chairs no digital entertainment no, sh no screens no electricity, just the lamps and if I go to that same room now uh, I see that the corner where I 
used to have my, my hobbit writing desk where I wanted to paint, uh, where I wanted to write, uh, is now this podcasting station. And there is a foldable green screen in the middle of the room. On the table is the Lego model of the Millennium Falcon because I wanted to put that in the Lego room, but it needs a stand and I don't have time to build that stand. And so I just put it there. There is a computer, or there used to be a computer until a couple of days ago when that computer blew up and gave me the blue screen of death. And I was like, you know what? I need to reset my life and recreate that rhythm and that the environment that helped me to, uh, to, to have that inner peace again. And everything that, was, that is added to my plate that is not essential, that is not vital, will have to be relegated to other people or will just have to stop. But I need to make a, a short list of things that can fill my life and can really make me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and yet don't go over those boundaries of my health, my sleep, my inner peace. And that includes also relationships. So for uh, almost 10 weeks now, I've been attending the meetings, the online meetings of the pastoral team because I felt that I needed to inform them about uh, these, uh, how we would do these celebrations. And uh, I also felt that, well, I needed to give some input about the future of the parish and uh, maybe the opportunities that are now uh, arising from, from this new situation. But I have to say that those, those meetings are terrible. Really. I'm, I'm sorry to say that these people don't know how to do a good meeting. And that may sound harsh, but that's really what I think and I would tell them in their face as well. To open this gate to get back to the part of the garden where I can actually walk. Um, so... But seriously, they just spend two and a half hours every week with a huge group of people, all professionals. But how do I get this back in? I don't even know why this is locked. It's crazy. There are no cows here. Okay, there we go. I think it's back. So, um, but, but they just waste so much time and there's so many conversations that I'm thinking, oh, come on, it's micromanaging. This is not supposed to be part of the job description of all these professional workers in the parish. So, you know, last Thursday, I was like, what the heck? I just I got plenty of work. I'm just not going there anymore. <laughs> Too bad. So I told them, I, I'm, I don't have time anymore. Uh, so, uh, and then that felt good. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's for a reason that I didn't attend those meetings for many years now. And they haven't changed at all. These are really unproductive meetings. So, anyway, (laughs) I'm back home and I'm going to wrap things up. So so I'm going to reset a lot of my life. Uh, Maybe I'll I'll replace some some things that I used to do uh, last year with some new activities. But it will still be, um, hopefully, a, a, a balance that resembles 
last year. I'm just going to walk into I hear a lot of people. Where are they? Are they in the church? Yes, they are. Hank is putting things in place for our celebration tonight uh, at 7 o'clock, the, the Vespers for the Virgin Mary. And Hank is putting the lamps into place. And, hi, hi. Goedemorgen. Ik kom zo even bij jullie. Ik moet heel even... So I'm going to wrap things up because I, I need to uh, talk with these people. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll talk soon. I, I would appreciate your prayers for my mom, for my father. Um, and if you have some spare prayers, I could use them as well. Hey, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Have a great week, weekend, and uh, bye-bye.